All right. So um, tonight is our snapshot chats and our first um, gentleman is a gentleman. And um, okay. Um, and it's Alan Powell from all the way in, I want to say Australia. Dabal? Dabal? Okay. Dabo. So Riley, can you can you pin Alan for us and turn his um, volume up? And um, you ready? We're going to start a timer the moment you start talking. <laughs> the pressure is on. <laughs> no, okay. I, I can put a timer on. You got a timer? Yeah. So you got your your fifteen minutes, and yep. um, and then we'll have a Q and A. Ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Hello everyone. It's, it's it, this is interesting because I don't see anybody. I'm only looking at the ones on Zoom. Oh yes, I can. I can see you. That's that's a blessing. Look for those ones who don't know me. Um, my name's Alan. Uh, I live in Dubbo, New South Wales, Australia. Um, I've had the the honour and privilege of being involved with your your congregation for a while now, simply because. Um, God led me to you fellows through, um, through Nancy Cohen, and it's been a wonderful time of growth. Just, uh, But I thought I'd start off with uh, this evening just uh, letting you know a bit about me. And, um, and then there's, just some, there's lots of truths that Papa gives us. I call God Papa because that's who he is to me. And uh, it's been an amazing journey, especially over my life the last five years. Um, almost five years ago, my amazing wife, uh, Carolyn, um, up and left and uh, split our family in half. So there was five younger children and my eldest daughter and her children. Um, we, The older children and me have not seen her for, for or any of them for five years now or coming up to five years. Through that time, it was an amazing journey in the fact is that I had to rely completely on God. I'm I'm writing my memoirs. I'm writing books, and, uh, and one of the things I said is that I had a choice whether I was going to trust God or trust myself in this situation. And the good thing about it was simply that Papa knew me better than I did, and I couldn't do it on my own. So my whole journey in the last five years has been trusting in Him. So that was the beginning. I uh, at the beginning of finding out that Carol wanted to leave, and then we have these things called apprehended apprehended violence orders, which she was able to easily put one on me, which was completely removed later. But that allowed her to remove the children and to stop communication. And with when things like that happen to you, you you sort of want to. Um, Blame the person and blame the situation or blame God for this situation. But God has told me many times, how do you trust me? And it's that trust in him that has been the journey, especially in the last five years, probably all my life mostly, but in the last five years I've had to really trust him, trust him with my older children who I still get to see and love and and be a part of their lives, but also my younger children who haven't had me in their lives now for coming up to five years, that he is their father. 
and that he loves them. So through this journey, it was pretty amazing because um, um, after Carolyn left and took the children, um, every six months something happened. My my mum passed away, my dad then passed away, and then six months later, one of my sons, Benjamin, uh, amazing brother in Christ, amazing friend, he was uh, just about to turn twenty five, and and um, and and basically he was killed in a car accident going home. And so through that journey, um, the night before, it always amazes me with God that God almost prepares me for tragedy. I, I don't think it's going to be tragedy, but when it happens, he prepares me and he does a work in me. And I think that's the most amazing thing. The night before Ben passed away, I was up with an amazing brother uh, up in uh, Queensland and he, uh, we were praying and he prayed for me and God did a work in me that night. The next morning, I was talking to Ben on the way home in the car, the beauty about mobile phones. And then that afternoon when I was on class, back back home on class, I found out that uh, he'd been killed in the car accident. And But through it that night, God gave me Ephesians 3, which is uh, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think through the power that works in me. And so naturally, uh, I was, um, my, my life has been, I was involved with John Lake Ministries. I was involved with a lot of ministries looking for the truth about who we are in Christ. And, um, and, and through that, um, understanding the truth of who we are, we can then have identity. So, Naturally enough, I went to try to raise Ben from the dead because I was determined to do it. Um, but then later on, Papa told me that, uh, or I believe God told me that uh, Ben asked Papa what he would have him do. He could come back or he had a work to do in heaven. I believe that's where he is. Now, he's, as I say, he owes me heaps. I've got his beautiful dog, Sparky, and, and, um, and we keep on moving on. But about 12 months later, one of the things that I, I learned, and, and it's an amazing thing, when, when people do, when people you love do things to you, when they, when they hurt you, when they, uh, one minute they can be loving and kind and generous, and the next minute they're just telling you all the negative stuff about yourself, and you start to question what's going on. You start to question the circumstances. You start to question everything. Because how can someone go from being so positive to so negative in such a short period of time? And so it even makes you question everything about yourself, everything, or even your memories you start to question. And um, so what God taught me, there's a couple of things he taught me, is that the person that I married and the things that they do, we often put them together. And if we put them together and we get rejection and pain and hurt, what happens is we start to, to hate or, or go against the person who does things to us. And so what happens is that we don't see the person as God created them to be, which is who they are. We simply see what they do and we, and we match that to them. And what Papa told me to do is to separate the two. 
other words, who they are versus what they do. Because the person I married, I still love. Um, unfortunately, God told me to let it go. So, so we're now divorced and, and, and still finishing off the final bits and pieces. But I can love the person I married, but I can hate what they do. And the God does that too. He doesn't like the evil people does, but do, but he loves the person he created. It says in one of the Psalms that he knitted us each together in, in our mother's womb for his time and place. And so what I learned to do over time is to love the person, and that allows me to pray for them. It allows me to, to do the things that he has for me to do for them. But I can hate that. I can hate what they do. And there's been many times in my life when people who aren't coping, people often who aren't coping, what they'll do is that they will come against you. They will say something against you. And I've learned the good thing about it is I've learned slowly learning. I will say sometimes people can still say things to me and I sort of burr up. But most of the time I see them as if they're hurting. I don't see them attacking me anymore. Um, Psalm 91 says the arrows, they will come. They will come to the left and the right, but they will not come near you. You'll only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. The thing is not to allow those arrows to attack you. And what I was sharing, going to share this evening is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now I've got the, the verse here. It's out of Luke. I'll just get it up here. Um, it's uh, Luke 6, 43 to 45, and it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes are picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One of the things I've discovered over the years, and I've been, we've all been in workplaces and, and places where there's been workplace bullying and, and, and stuff like that happens. But what I've learned, probably the hard way like most of us do, is that when a person isn't coping, that's when they'll go on the attack. That's when they will say things about you which not, are not necessarily true. And so, therefore, when I listen to people now and they're throwing things at me, it's like all the accusations that were made to me over the last five years. And even people, amazes me, that even with people who I've, I used to go up and I could hug and embrace. After, after my wife left me, all of a sudden, I'd go up and hug them and you would feel the tension. You would see it in their eyes. And because we're a spiritual person, we could actually experience it as well. And that re rejection or that, that hurt or that fear that comes out of people, well, that's not from God. That's from the enemy and from their own insecurities. And so God has taught me that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he said to me one day, he said, listen to what people say. 
listen to what people say, and you'll know where their heart is. Now, it's not necessarily saying it's evil. It's simply saying where they're up to. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned to do. When people aren't coping around you, you will notice that they will be on the attack. But they will say things that, wow, where did that come from type stuff happens to me. And what used to happen for many years, I used to take it personally. I used to allow those arrows to attack my heart. Now, all I see them is this, hey, that's where you're up to. That's sad. How can I help you? I see you doing it a little bit hard. How can I help you? And that is what God has taught me is to listen to their words. Don't take on their, their accusations, but listen to their words. And then he said to me, it was interesting, after he taught me that, he said, Al, what's coming out of your mouth? What are you saying? Because out of the abundance of my heart, the mouth speaks. About 12 months after Benjamin died, I did this little course in town. It was there to, to encourage fellows. We all went, went together. The men, it was a men's group. We went together just to encourage each other. And on the last day, um, I had worked out like what the journey of God had shown me is about bitterness and unforgiveness. And if you don't, un if you don't forgive people, it, it, can, it can fester and it will come out of you. So God was showing me about bitterness, not to, not to give me a pet topic, not to allow me to dwell on it, but to give me understanding. He, said, get, he get, says, get, get wisdom and get understanding. But because of this new learnt thing and, and, and the fact that the sad bit was that when Benjamin died, his mum and his siblings didn't even come to his funeral. And that hurt because I knew how much he loved them. And so I worked, God had shown me this thing about bitterness and, and it was this topic that I had explored and explored with God and, and found out that, that unless we forgive, it then will set, set on us and we be, will become bitter as well. So this, that evening we were talking and what was coming out, I, I developed this pet topic. And my pet topic was about hate and bitterness and how it affects people and how I felt the effects of it. Well, this beautiful brother in Christ, as I was speaking this, when you speak about hate and bitterness, what comes out is that hate and bitterness. And this, fellow, this beautiful brother in Christ touched me and said, oh, it reminded him of how his father was, and he touched my, and he said, Al, someone, everyone else needs to talk, and he shut me down. The fortunate thing with me is I had this conversation going with Papa, and when I was shut down, I felt, I felt rejected, I felt all the things, but being in touch with God, listening to him and speaking to him, he was just showing me it had become my pet topic. So out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth was speaking. On the way home that night, I was driving home with Papa and he was teaching me about my pet topic. 
And I know in the 90s, a lot of preachers, I was told a lot of preachers had a pet topic, whether it be homosexuality, maybe it was adultery, maybe it was something like that. I even had a beautiful friend who, a brother in Christ, who whose pet topic was about what the enemy's tactics were. And later on, we found out that he'd been committing adultery for 18 years with his wife. And it split up his family. So I'm coming home and I'm saying, Papa, that was becoming the and he, that was becoming my pet topic. And because I was actually feeling the bitterness, I was feeling the stuff that was coming out. And I said to him, No, Papa, I've got to let that go. And my pet topic is going to be love, joy, mercy, and grace. Because we reap what we sow. If I speak bitterness, I will reap bitterness. If I speak joy, I will reap joy. If I speak forgiveness, I receive forgiveness. And I, if I could encourage us tonight, and I know my time is up already, it doesn't take long to go, that there's two things, probably three things I've actually said so far. And the first thing is when people are saying things to you, Listen to their words and don't take it personally. All you're looking at, all you're seeing is that from the abundance of their heart, their mouth is speaking. The second thing I probably said is that basically listen to your words. Listen to your own words. How are you going? What is actually happening? What is coming out of your mouth? And the third thing is probably what is our pet topic? What are we allowing to affect us? What are we speaking on? And I just challenge each of us to just listen to our own words and talk to Papa, talk to God. God is so good. He He's gentle. He never chastises. He never, he never like he all he all he says to me is, Al, that's not who you are. And by doing that, by taking those thoughts captive and into obedience with Christ, it allows us to be the people he designed us to be. That was great. Does anybody have any questions for Al or comments or maybe, you know, you've experienced some of the same thing and you want to ask, ask him or commiserate with them or <laughs> encourage him? Okay, go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, appreciate hearing your story and the vulnerability of the loss uh, at the time and, and uh, things of that nature. Uh, you're somebody that my I've always seen you as as somebody who has a really deep intimacy with with Papa, and uh, you reek of it. <laughs> um, did that Did that really get nurtured at the time of when you were? Uh, dealing with the initial loss of, of the separation and the stuff that was going on, or had that had that always been there? Actually, brother, that's the interesting thing. My um, about twenty years ago, I I had uh, I had depression. I had a workplace incident where the out of the abundance of the my employer's heart, the mouth was speaking, and I took it personally. Um, and then um, through depression and through the medication that they put you on and and everything, uh, I had to get real with, with, with God. 
So I, I have a testimony of one night I just had it out with God. I swore at him. I told him he was a mongrel. I told him everything. And uh, that began at the end of, well, actually, it was when the sun was rising. You, you rant and rave and then you sulk and rant and rave and sulk when you're not coping. <laughs> and the next morning I said to Papa, I said, God, I said, and how in the blaze I meant to know what to do when you don't even speak to me? Because I'd heard of so many people say, oh, I hear God this and I hear God that, but I couldn't remember. I didn't, I didn't have that at the time. And as the sun was rising, as the sun hit the horizon, I was facing east as the sun hit the horizon, I heard the four words out, out loud. Um, and and they were in, I was in the car on my own, and, and after abusing someone all night, you'd think they were going to sort of you know, go a bit crook on you. But all he said, he said, Al, he said, I love you. And people say, how do you hear from God? And I say, well, if I hear from, say, Jeremy, for instance, I know your tone and pitch. Like if, if you speak, I can tell it's you because of your tone and pitch. With Papa, it's his nature and character. Now, that's the only time I've heard God out loud. The rest of the time is actually my thoughts, as most of you would know how you hear from Papa. It's different. But um, he, as I say to him, he's, he's much cleverer than me, so I know, it's, I know it's him speaking and not me and not my thoughts going. So, um, yeah, that's where it started, brother. Thank you. Yep, here comes Jen. Uh, I don't know if I have a question. It's just more... Um... You're just a remarkable man of God, and I have the utmost respect and honor for you, Alan, and what you've what you've lived and the gold that's come from you and the amazing fruit and how that heart of bitterness could have been very justified for your remaining years, and yet you're just as soft and pure and loving and all of those things that you say of what you're sowing and reaping I just attest to see that you know each week with you of what comes out of you the joy and the love and peace such graciousness such mercy keep on sharing I mean you you it's like taking taking our walk with Jesus a whole whole nother level with with what you know you could be in the hall of faith and i'm sure you are because yeah the cloud of witnesses are are declaring that and i join with them but i just really honor you alan bless you brother you fellows are amazing next ronnie has a question it's a two-part question al where did you get your awesome accent Okay. Came from Dubbo, New South Wales, Australia. This is how we speak over here. And also probably from a little bit of Narromine, which is about half an hour's drive west of here, where I also spent a lot of my time. So that's my awesome accent, brother. <laughs> Going to come visit us in Colorado. I am looking at coming, hopefully... Within the next twelve months, that's my my plan. Gator, you're still working. 
No, I've got two more weeks of teaching to go. I just did a week now. I've two weeks break and then I do another week. Um, so I'm getting towards the end of it. My, my new career is starting. I don't know what that is. Papa knows. Um, and uh, yes, I'm I'm busting to get over and see you fellas. I am just, I and uh, yeah, now, I what, probably now, won't be. Two years. I know, I know. But I've got my passport. Looking forward to it. Oh, likewise, brother. It'd be lovely awesome. to come over and embrace all you fellas. Just give you a big. <laughs> awesome. Anybody else? We're good there. Okay. Thanks, Al. That was really great. Okay. So our next snapshot chatter <laughs> is Monique. Well, um, so Vicky asked me a while back what I like to do this. And um, I said yes, but I didn't really mean it. And um, so here I am. And so I was asking God, what should I say? And he didn't tell me anything. So I said, well, if I die tomorrow, what is something that I have inside of me that maybe would be lost if it wasn't shared? And that's nothing to do with Scripture, I don't think, because it's all in the Bible. But how he created people, and maybe speaking for people who don't normally speak, that might be something to do. Um, and then, as Alan was speaking, um, God asked me to cut that short and do something different. So now he tells me. Um, so here's the deal. What's your superpower? Because you got one, so what is it? My superpower is a bit like David's in the Bible. Like, I mean, when it came time for some huge accolade or to be chosen for the job or whatever, Nobody thought about David. That weirdo, pretty boy, was out in the field looking at sheep, right? That was his thing. That's all he's good for. That's not what God thought. That's just what man thought. So while you think about your superpower, I want you to think about your kids, and I want you to think about people that you pass on the street, and I want you to think about how you label them or how you let the enemy label them through you or society. Why do you think about them the way you think about them? I mean, they're image bearers, right? That's like the thing we say around here. So what does that mean? That means there's a little bit of super on their natural somewhere. Where is it? Right? So David, he's not really, he's not really thought much about. Um, for me, it, it's pretty funny because when I was in kindergarten, um, I got a baby sister. Yay. Those things are noisy and they keep you up at night. And, I um I was doing my work and I was tired and suddenly I felt the presence of the teacher behind me right and I was like ah because I looked at my page and I honestly in my mind I thought what just happened did an alien take over my body who's been writing on my paper and the teacher doesn't say anything and grabs the book and walks you know come with me down the dark hallway I'm thinking I'm going to get expelled. I don't even know what that means, all these horrible things. And she goes into the ladies' room. She takes a red pen, and she marks it. 100% correct. Mirrored writing. Completely backwards. You know, like da Vinci did with all of his inventions? But nobody tells you that as a kid. They just say, you do things differently. You can't spell. You're stupid. Which is why God put me in my body and told me to become a teacher. <laughs> I'm the black sheep. Everybody else is all dot your eyes and cross your T's and let's all think left brain and da 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 da. And then there's me. Woohoo! 
let's do a Indian festival and this, that, and the other thing, right? Completely different to my peers. And that has been a blessing to them, but not to me, because it means that I'm always the square peg in a round hole. <laughs> I'm always the one that's misunderstood. Poor suki siki la la me, but that's the deal. So sometimes um, being dyslexic can get in the way of how people perceive me. Sometimes poor little me gets misunderstood. <laughs> sometimes when I go to stand and read in front of a grade, um, I can't read properly. Look, let me tell you this. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm stupid. You actually have to have a certain intellectual ability and certain IQ to be labeled dyslexic. Thank you very much. Um, however, comma, it means that when you get nervous, you're going to muck it up completely. Completely. Um, I'm not going to spell right. Things are going to happen. Third grade, standing in front of the classroom, picking up my book, trying to read. And my eyes were on super focus, like really into where their blanks were between the spaces and back out, in and out, in and out. And the teacher said, I'm going to send you back to second grade because obviously you can't read. Forgiveness is a good thing, yes. And dad switched me out of that school because that's why he gives you the parents that he gives you, right? And in fourth grade, um, I actually scored in the national test higher than the test went. My reading ability was off the charts. It only went up to 12th grade. I'm not stupid. I just don't like being judged and criticized. And that's the thing, is those of us that think this way have this ability to like feel things. And when you're little, you're at the mercy of everybody else and what they're feeling and telling you. And even as an adult, even a couple days ago, like I just felt judged. And then I act like an idiot and I can't do things the way I need to do it. So I'm all sicky sicky lala. And um, I thought, well, if I die tomorrow, people need to know that little dyslexics stop judging them. <laughs> They're smart, right? And so just allow them their space to be. And one of these people in my past that was also probably dyslexic is my grandmother. And this is where I was inspired by Mr. Allen to say, so my grandmother taught us Psalms 9111. He will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Every Christmas gift that happened. I didn't get to see her much. She and my dad had a falling out. So I didn't get to see her hardly at all, really. But boy, did I feel her prayer. So my encouragement to Alan and to everyone else is that prayer is tangible. And um, there are so many times that I could tell you stories where Cars were coming right at me, and then here's the bumper, and the next thing I know, I'm over here on the sidewalk safe. So you give a little call. Hey, Grandma, thanks for praying for my guardian angels. Almost died. Love you. Bye. You know, like what? Um, so, so those of you that are estranged from your family or far away from them, prayer is powerful. And everything I saw that woman pray for has come to pass. Maybe not while she was on earth here. But I've seen it happen, including my uncle coming to know the Lord. That took place, too. And when she passed, the four of us grandkids sort of stood around and said, I don't know, do you feel, yeah, I, somebody said, I just feel like naked. So yeah, I feel uncovered. And it hit me. We had never experienced the real world before. 
Grandma had covered us in Psalms 91 so well <laughs> that it insulated us, tangibly insulated us from everything. And I believe that her prayers were why that I got through school the way that I did and graduated in uni the way that I did, and then am in charge of other little people to say, oh, you just have to nod and smile at those left brain thinkers. They think they know everything, and they don't, because if you got a whole bunch of right brain thinkers together and we evaluated you on our skills, you'd suck. No offense, but you would. So that's why God gave us different abilities. And when you start thinking you know someone based on what you see, based on what their performance is, unless you're asking Abba, you're going to get it wrong. So you might want to stop and stop thinking of what society tells you to think about that person and start asking Abba what you're supposed to think about that person. Because if you judge them on their spelling or if I were to judge you on your creative ability, huh? You might not score very high, but God created you the way he created you and everyone for a purpose. So um, keep praying for your family and do your best to find out how God created the person in front of you. Good. I just forget to turn it on. So does anybody have any questions for Monique? Anybody? Oh, Richard is coming up. Uh, being dyslexic, um, when did you discover this? So I didn't know about it until 12th grade. 12th grade? My parents knew. I mean, obviously, you mirrored writing like that. Come on now. Um, but mom kept it from me because God knows the parents that he gives you on purpose. And I was sitting at the kitchen table and I just rhetorically declared, ah, oh, why can't I spell? And dad, who's also dyslexic, said, that's because you're dyslexic. And I was like, am I dying tomorrow? He said, no, just means you think differently. So I never, I was free of all of that perception, which God knows my heart. He knows that would have ruined me as a human being. So he just gave me parents that just didn't allow me to know about it until I was old enough to fight for others. So in your reading today, how does that? How did you get to the place where you could sort the words out? And See, it's not the way people perceive it to be. There's a whole lot to that. So let me try to summarize that because I, I love tutoring dyslexic kids. You know, they come and they think they can only read three letters and they'll be on a first grade level, and six months later we're reading on a fourth grade level because we actually have a phenomenal ability to visualize things. Like, you know, the Iron Man, when he pulls up that um, computer and he's moving the thing, I do that in my brain. So I have to take pictures, translate it into words, which is why my words can get mixed up um, because I'm doing three layers of translating all the time. So when you finally realize... Like, I, I never really struggled with reading because I just started making a mental video in my head. And so I have a phenomenal comprehension um, because I used the disability as an advantage because I didn't have anybody mucking me up telling me that I couldn't do it. So I just put a little grit in my craw. I still couldn't 
I mean, I still have to stop and think of how to spell things. And if I'm nervous, I'm going to spell it wrong, um, which as a teacher was interesting. So I just gave them points if they could find misspelled words on the board. Wow, that's interesting. I just learned that uh, Tucker Carlson is dyslexic, and um, look where he's been. And, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. I would encourage you to look up the list, because that's the first thing. Is like Disney, Einstein, Edison, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, all of these, like, whoosh, kind of thinkers, you know, like the guy who did Xerox, they're all right brain thinkers. So Alan, your question. You're amazing sister. That's all I can say. I'm also dyslexic. So I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, I've been teaching 35 years and my student students always corrected my spelling. So that was really cool. <laughs> and I didn't worry about it. After the first little while, I thought, well, I just can't do it. But but um, you also remind me so much of my beautiful daughter, who you are such a gift to mankind and these beautiful children who are struggling. And so I just want to really encourage you and thank you for your testimony and thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Am I off the hook? Do I get to run off stage now? No, because you stopped early, so we had longer time to ask you questions. Oh, did I? You did. Wow, that's a miracle. Somebody write okay. that down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, um, when you were talking about image bearers um, and the idea of looking to see um, how they bear that image. Are you just talking about bearing the image of God or are you looking for something um, more or less? I think you have to ask Abba what's in that person that people don't see. You know, like the biker guy that looks really rough and tumble and yet he's the guy who comes over and checks and makes sure that you're safe. Um, or the person that looks like they don't know anything and suddenly they're really profound, or the person that you think. I think just challenging your first perception, always based on, like, when I said to people in college that I had dyslexia, they would say, I'm sorry. And I was like, what do you mean I'm sorry? Like, there's this whole connotation, this whole understanding that has been ascribed to a whole group of people incorrectly. And unless they're told otherwise, then they think that they can't do it. Like, um, so in college, my roommate had me for a roommate first. And so she had experience of dyslexia through me. And then she had a different roommate who had dyslexia. And she kept saying, oh, I can't do it because I'm dyslexic. And Stacy finally had enough. And she was like, yes, you can, Moni, you can do it, you can do it. But that's exactly what she was held down with, that she couldn't do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And that's not the truth. Um, and so I think it's really important when you talk about people being image bearers, then they're going to shine in something. And every one of us knows the pain of being mislabeled, right? You've had people laugh at you. You've had people talk behind your back. Come on now, right? So how did that feel? So and why were people doing that? I mean, what stereotype do you bear? Right? So 
the challenge is not to be that way. The challenge is to look at the person in front of you and ask God, how do I look at this person? Like, especially if they're little, don't you dare label them. (laughs) If they're little, just only ask God what to think about them. Anybody else? Larry. This is kind of on the concept of image bearing, but it could be a lot broader as far as the application, so answer it in a way that it makes any sense. Um, what I'm gleaning a little bit from what you're saying is, is that there is this image processing that you grew up being able to do at a high level. Does it help you not get stuck in the words when we're thinking about complicated theological things or like this image bearing concept it sounds like you immediately went to a, more of a picture of who that person is more of a uh, an illustration of who they are rather than trying to categorize them as a word or something along those lines so how has it helped you because re- god is the word for sure but he's way more than a word i mean those words have real life images behind him in heaven real life images behind him on earth really you know in history so how has it helped you not get stuck in just the words alone that's a two-edged sword because um the thing that that you're referring to the ability to to visualize things so god will often just give me a picture of something or a video and i'll go with that and the semantics always get me in trouble especially when I speak out, because I didn't speak as a kid because it took too much thinking. So people would say, hi, how are you? And I would wait thinking, am I supposed to say, hi, how are you? I would have this huge analytical thing take place, all of this stuff. And then by the time I translated it into what I was going to say, the people had already just walked away or assumed something. So what I learned to do as a teenager was just throw any word out there. Screw the semantics, man. Get it close enough, and if the person's eyeballs are confused, then switch it up, you know. Fix the fix the picture as it needs to be. I create words, you know. I, everybody's always going, that's not a real word, and I, I just coined it, and it makes sense, and so that's what I'm saying. Um, so I think it's helped me in, in one sense, because I have to go for the definition and give a picture of something, and if I'm if God and I are reading Scripture... He's not usually telling me the definitions of words. Um, my best friend from university, Christy, has the same personality type and everything, but she's left brain. And the two of us together could conquer the world because we have the compatible strengths and weaknesses. But God is speaking. I'm reading scripture. We're flying on an airplane. And I'm like communing with him and looking at the clouds and looking at all the designs and creating things out of my trash and having this moment of creativity with Abba. And Christy goes, oh my gosh, look, there's a list in verse four. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, trash, Monique, really? I'm like, yeah, see, she's doing clouds, I'm doing trash. (laughs) But we both are having a moment with the Lord. So I do get lost in semantics. People will have to correct me if I use the wrong terminology. So if I'm ever talking to you, don't focus on the denotation. Just go with the big picture that I'm creating.
This is Ronnie. <laughs> I'm doing okay, thanks. Hi, Zoomers. So I think I'm dyslexic. My, I asked my mother earlier on, and she said, we think you are, but you were smart enough to fool the people when we tried to test you, so we don't really know. That's classic. Is it? Very classic. All right, then I am one. Because <laughs> one out of four people think with their right brain, um, and it is it is very classic to fly under the radar, like I was able to fly under the radar, uh -huh. um, until I had, like, I wanted to say the Wicked the Witch of the West, but I was like, Monique, so I don't know what to call her, that third grade teacher that I had, um, until I had her, it wasn't an issue, because she was just really scrutinized. Yeah. Do you find that yourself? Do you find when you're scrutinized and you feel like people are judging you, it's harder to do what you need to do? I'm not sure. But it was more to the statement. It wasn't just me saying that I am one. <laughs> oh, and what it was is I want to thank you because uh, one I've recently, well, no, not recently, twenty years ago, I got rear-ended three times, and got head injuries, and it messed with me like big time. And one of the things that was taken away is my ability to visualize. Oh, what? Yeah, and Larry was even part of that. There was a uh, time when I was trying to build something, and it really bothered me because normally I could make complex things easier to understand for me by visualizing what they are and I couldn't do it at all and it really bothered me but now that you help me understand why that bothered me so much which is cool thank you I think we should pray that that's restored okay. because I disagree fiercely with people that say it's a learning disability I say it's a teaching disability because hm, if you knew it you could teach it better so well, I for example, if someone says, you know, where this is located near this street and that street. You can't visualize I can't it. do that anymore. Before it was instant. And now I have to try to visualize and work on it. It's now like you're memory. like a left brainer. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, I'm just, but yeah, we are still going to, we're going to still have to pray for that because that, that's huge. Yeah, go ahead. So, so what you're saying is that we need to look for the superhero in everybody, and but ask God to show us that superhero. Exactly, exactly, because you might be able to see an aspect of their the little bit of super on their natural that others couldn't see, especially if Abba tells you. So. I should be kinder to the left-brainers, but I'm smacking them around a bit because I think it's important that they have ever so slightly understanding of what it's like uh, from our side. So I should I should be more caring, but I'm not. I'm just going to keep smacking around. And, and, and the other thing you said is... Uh, when I was struggling, like when, when I got picked on at work and things like that, I didn't know how to come back. My brain was going... Zzz thinking of everything. And so what I thought up was I had these one-liners. I called them one-liners. That's what I just said. And it didn't matter what they meant or whatever. It just threw out and it diverged. It basically um, um, diffused the situation and it worked. And because I couldn't to say. And so that's that's really, that's been good insight. Thank you. That's why I had the one-liners. Yes.
Well, it's funny. People, yeah, yeah, it's funny too because, like, as you're talking, um, I had a English professor at university who uh, taught the teachers. And he would always have this thing he would say at the end was, I'm dyslexic, like this grand reveal. And I was like, aha, I could tell because the style of how he would teach and how he presented things. And I think that um, you're right. When you get nervous and you feel made fun of, really part of our superpower is the ability to feel people's feelings. And so when we get all of that negativity at us, man, it's just hard to think. You can't think straight. So it's cool. See, like um, the compensations that you come up with, because you are a creative thinker. You just had these one-liners. Um, whereas I just go into teaching and say, "Well, that's because I'm a writer." But God has always seemed to use that. He seems to put me in a position where there's people that need to know, and I need to say this too. And then I was around some people that were really dense. And they didn't really want to hear what I had to say. They still dismissed me because I was different. So the Lord brought a prophet to church. <laughs> and the prophet said, God created you, Monique, unique on purpose. You are different. And I'm thinking, I was so put out because I was wanting some revelation from him. And I left so upset. And God said, well, it wasn't for you. It was for everybody else who misunderstands you. So I was like, Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.